morning again. We are so glad to have you all. And that is a lot of purple. I want you to know how incredible is that. So good. Thank you so much to, of course, our members for being here. We're grateful for that. But all of our guests, our young people and supporters and stuff, we are so glad that you came today. I know for some of you who have been missing your home church, thank you for doing that. And we certainly hope we can return that favor sometime. But for all of you, thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us today at Dorisville Baptist Church. And today we want to talk about uh, what's your thing, the one thing. And ask the question there at the end of the video, what's your thing? You know, Monopoly is a game of life. Now, now they, they've even upgraded to where now there's a first to be a millionaire wins. But, but, you know, Monopoly's been around for a long time. Long before I was even born, they had Monopoly game. And we used to play it at our house. I mean, you know, that was kind of the one thing we did. Uh, my daughters are now like 32 and like 28, and then Sarah's like 24. But, but we would gather around the fireplace, especially Rebecca and Jennifer, when they were like maybe 11, 12 years old, 10 years old. And, you know, we would gather around and play this game. It was so cool because, you know, they loved their daddy. And, you know, and, and when daddy would say, Honey, please sell me Baltic Avenue. And, and, and they would, you know, out of the goodness and kindness of their heart, They'd say, okay, Daddy, you know, and I would give them the money. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Except for Judy. Now, there's a couple things you need to know about Judy. First is, she has a nickname. And her nickname is, well, it's a variation, Pood or Pooter. And it goes back to where, you know, she was young and her brother called her Judy Pooty. And, boy, that sounds bad, I tell you. It wasn't the gastric thing. It just rhymed, okay? But anyway, but anyway, so eventually got dropped to Poon Pooter, and we were Poon Pooter, and we still Poon Pooter around, you know? That's what we still do. But anyway, the second thing you need to know is, is that when she is playing Monopoly, you know, I really think she's one of the best pastor wives I know. She's a kind person, a generous person. She shares so much. But when you put a, a, pair, a pair of dice in her hand around Monopoly board, uh, Katie barred the door. She becomes Poodzilla. Poodzilla. I mean, I, we used to get so frustrated. I said, Judy, come on. I'm offering you double what it's worth. No, nope, no, nope, I'm not going to sell it to you. I'm not going to sell it to you. And so the point is, we finally had to quit playing Monopoly. I mean, we don't, we don't even own the game anymore because of Poodzilla. I mean, you know, we gave up on it, you know. But, you know, again, it's a game about life. And, and the idea is this, and it is, you know, you, you, you want to amass the most hotels and houses, and you want to crush the competition. I mean, there's some kind of great joy in watching the guys go bankrupt. You, you can't wait till they roll the dice and you throw the dice, you know, and they land on Park Place with a hotel and you say, $1,500 rent. And they've got 12. And there's just satisfaction as you take their houses and rake them in and their hotels and you rake them in and you take their $12. Monopoly, winning Monopoly is fun. And so it is with life. And there's not a whole lot of difference there. We kind of want to climb that ladder and win at the game of life and amass all this stuff at the end and not necessarily crushing the people, but, you know, if they get in your way, well, maybe. Well, today's scripture is about a guy. Now, he didn't, Monopoly's not this old, but it was back when Jesus was around about 2,100 years ago. And, and it's about a guy who played the game of life and played it very well. But here's the deal. He got to the end. When all the hotels were his, and all the houses were his, and yet something was still missing in his life. And we want to go back to Mark chapter 10. 
Uh, if you've got your Bible today, we'll have it on the screens. It's also on the sermon sheet that you've got there. And we want to read an incredible story about a guy who was worried about when he got to the end of the game of life, what was going to happen. So Mark chapter 10 and verse number, starting with verse number 17. It starts out with Jesus saying this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. Now, it sounds like we would say, hey, by the way, we're going to Disney World next week. Okay, it's like you're going on a trip or, or hey, we're heading to St. Louis to see the, you know, the Cardinals. You know, something like that. It's not so. You heard the song one day. It told the story of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for a very specific reason. He's going to die. The whole reason Jesus Christ was born, he became God in the flesh and lived a sinless life, preached what he preached, did what he did, was that he could go to a Roman cross like this and die for the sins of men, women, and children. And he is on his way to Jerusalem for that. So he's on his way to die. And as he starts out on his way, the Bible says that a man came running to him. Now, it's really, really unusual in this culture that men would run anyway. They're very dignified. But this guy, we learn, has three attributes that make him the winner at the game of life. First off this, you know, another follower of Jesus Christ, a doctor named Luke, a Gentile guy, tells us that this guy was a ruler. Now, that means he was a ruler in the religious world. Um, he, he was on his game. He had prestige. He had power. He had position. If it was Harrisburg, he would you know, show up at Walmart or show up at one of the stores and people go, oh, look, there's so-and-so, and they know who he was. Okay? Then Matthew, another follower of Jesus Christ, all right, tells us that he was young. That he was young. So we had this guy that who is very prestigious. All three of the storytellers tell us that he is, they are wealthy, he's wealthy, but also that he's a ruler. So all this, and he's young. He's young. How incredible is that? He's attained the game of life at a very young age. And this guy comes running to Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, he kneels down from him and says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, it's really radical that he calls Jesus good. Now, in our culture, I had good pizza. I had good pie. Um, I had a good time. Uh, you know, good is a very common word. But in that, in that culture, good was referred only to God. So, for this guy to say, good teacher, matter of fact, Jesus says in verse 18, he says, so why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Like, like Jesus is saying, so like, are you implying something here? Have you heard something about me that would make you think that I'm more than just a normal person? And of course he was. He was the son of God. So, so he comes and says, this guy comes and says, so how can I have eternal life? In other words, when, when it's all said and done, and I get to the end of this existence, and the stuff, you know, is amassed, what about after the stuff? What about what's going to happen to me after I've amassed everything and it's, you know, it's there? But after that, you know, when the final boom, 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 and it stops. He knew something was lacking that even though he was like a religious person, even though he was wealthy, and that had great implications. We'll talk about that at the end of the message. Even though he was wealthy, he had done all this as a, as a young person. All this had happened. He, he knew something was lacking. In his life. And so Jesus goes on and says, Well, you know, only God is really good, okay? But let me answer your question. He says, You know the commandments. And, and he gives a list. He lists five, as a matter of fact, five of the Big Ten. He says, You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. 
You must not steal. Uh, you must not testify falsely. Uh, you, you can't cheat anybody. And you've got to honor your mom and your dad. So Jesus gives him a list of five of the commandments. And you notice all of them deal with relationships with people. Now, first off, for you who go to church frequently, don't think that Jesus is going, Oh man, he's teaching that if we keep the rules, we get to go to heaven. No, no. You know the big story that you can't get to heaven by keeping rules. You cannot be good enough. There are not enough obedient things you can do that you can follow all the rules and God say, you're in. We know that it happened here when Jesus Christ died on the cross because of God's amazing grace that we're in. But what he's trying to do is get down the guy's level. What he's trying to do is to cause an aha moment. He's hoping when he gives this list of, of adultery and murder and stealing and all those things, this guy's going to go, oh man, boy, I, I need something. I, I need something, okay? You know, it's radical, but, but the guy says, he goes, well, teacher, I kept all of these from the time that I was a kid, from the time that I was young. And it's really, you know, it's really something, you know, Jesus, Jesus had a way of taking things further, okay? Like, for instance, you know, one day he's like having church on the side of a mountain called the, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, the biggest sermon ever preached. And Jesus said something like this. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. One of the things that he said. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus took it further and said this. He said, I tell you that if a man looks at a woman and lusts after her in, in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Whoa! That puts a whole different spin on it. See, the dude missed church that day. Because if he'd been at church that day on the Sermon on the Mount day, he probably wouldn't be so quick to say, yeah, I, yeah, I've kept all these. Because he probably said, well, you know, I saw that girl the other day and, well, never mind, we won't go there, but you know. Or, or maybe, maybe it's the one where he said, you know, you shall not commit adultery, you know, or excuse me, you shall not murder. Maybe it was that one. You know, he probably hadn't killed anybody, so he said, you got that one down, but he missed church that day too. Because in that same long sermon, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shouldn't murder anybody. Oh, yeah, we got that one. Not killed anybody. But then Jesus said, I tell you this, if you're angry at your brother or at a friend, it's the same thing as murder. He missed that day. Because he probably wouldn't have been so quick to say, oh, I've kept them all. And yeah, come on. He probably went down to, to Walmart and he may have stuck a pack of gum in his pocket. Or, or maybe, maybe you know, he was in the locker room. I was watching the Cosby's last night and and the guy said, hey, how's your date with so-and-so, you know? And it kind of stretches the truth. And he bears a little bit of false witness there. Or, or maybe, maybe he cheated a little bit on a test. You know, it's really important. You've got to keep the GPS so you can be a starter on, on the football team or the soccer team. Or you've got to play in the band. So maybe he, like, cheated just a little bit. And this honor your mom and dad thing, I bet six to one he didn't keep that one all the way. What do you think? No. No, no, see, but, but in his brain, because he was a pretty good person, he goes, no, no, teacher, I kept all these things since I was young. He was a good moral person. I mean, you know, there's a dude here that has a shirt that says D-A-D-D. -D, Dad's Against Daughters Dating. Right there. I like the shirt. My daughters are grown, but I like the shirt. It's a cool thing. But, but he was probably the kind of guy that you would say, you know, he went to church and stuff, and you'd say, okay, well, yeah, you can take my daughter out. 
He's a good moral person. But when it comes to the end of the game and what happens after the stuff, it takes something more than just being a good moral person. So here's what happens. Jesus goes on and says this. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now that sounds a little bit ooey-gooey, okay, if you're a guy today. But you know what he's talking about. What he's talking about is when the coach, let's say in this case it's football. It's when the coach wants to talk to you. Now I'm not talking about when you're the center and you have a bad snap and Roper does something like this. Man, what's wrong with you? You press that pen. I'm not talking about what he says on the sidelines. I mean, we see it from the stands. I, I watched Notre Dame yesterday, who, by the way, is ranked five in the nation. And the fact that a Catholic and a preacher get along, a Baptist preacher get along, that's pretty cool. All right? But ranked five in the nation. And I watched, you know, Coach uh, Brian Kelly, I watched him just get in the face of this guy. Just, Argh! I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're in the locker room. And, and a guy comes up and says, hey, coach, we'll see you in the office. That kind of talk. It's when, it's when the band director says, I, I, I'm like, hey, Miss So-and-so wants to see you in the office. That kind of talk. So Jesus loved this guy and wanted to come heart to heart with him. Okay? Here's what he said. There's still one thing you're lacking. There's one thing that you're lacking. Here. You've got to go and you've got to sell all your possessions and you've got to give the money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Oh, yeah, oh, and then I want you to come and I want you to follow me. Now, see, Jesus saw the potential in this guy. He knew what he could be. I mean, he, he was incredibly young. He was successful. He saw potential. He loved him enough to speak the truth. When Coach Roper pulls you in the office and says, you have got incredible talent and ability. Do you understand that there's a strong possibility that you could be drafted into a Division I school? Do you understand that? But, let's just be honest. There's something lacking. I noticed that you didn't sign into the weight room. If you want to go to Division One, you've got to spend more time in the weight room. Or maybe it's, maybe it's Thursday night before game night, and you're out at 3 o'clock in the morning with some girl, and coach knows it, and he pulls you aside and says, Listen, you're lacking something, man. If you really want to go in this game, you've got to be willing to sacrifice that Thursday night. Your body has got to be fresh when you go in. Or maybe you're trying out for... Maybe the band director just sees this incredible talent in you. And she knows that you could go to Division One, Or perhaps you one day could be a, car, a concert pianist. And you've got incredible talent. But she looks and says, you're lacking something. You know, this, if, if you're going to go to that level, the 15-minute practice a day won't cut it. You've got to do more. And those people would speak into your life... Because they love you. At that point, it wouldn't be about winning a game. It wouldn't be winning a conference championship. It, it wouldn't just be being first chair in the band. It, it wouldn't be, if you're a soccer player, it wouldn't be just so you could go up to a great soccer school. 
That, that coach, that director, that teacher would pour into your life because they believe in you. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. He could have blew the guy off, but he didn't. He told him the truth. This was not about becoming poor. Because the dude had said, I've kept all these rules. Jesus knew there was a rule he was breaking. That's why he said, there's one thing you lack. And the one thing he lacked was the stuff, the money, was the most important thing to him. And Jesus knew that if he was going to really have eternal life and be a, a Christ follower, that had to go. So Jesus spoke the truth to him and said, you've got to get rid of this God in your life. You've got to get, listen, you've got to get rid of whatever's holding you back from Division One. You, you've got to get rid of whatever's keeping you off Broadway. It's got to go. Decision time. And the Bible says the guy... His, man, his face failed, his countenance failed. He went away sad because he had many possessions. He, he looked at what he had and, and thought about the cost of following Jesus, what, what he was saying. And he walked away from it. Come on, you've done it. Some of you who've been called into the coach's office and said, Man, you've got this potential. And you didn't give up the girlfriend on Thursday night. You didn't spend 30 more minutes in the weight room. You didn't block an hour for practice on the piano instead of 15 minutes. You didn't go outside to your practice goal at home in the backyard and kick goal shots for soccer. You walked away from it. And you got to understand something. When greatness is involved, there is a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice. And Jesus knew this. So, so this guy, his countenance falls. He went away sad because he had many possessions. So you can just see in your mind, can't you? You know, here's Jesus saying, you've got to sell everything. You know, get rid of it. Give it to the poor. I want you to come and follow me. And the guy's walking away. And so Jesus goes, no, no, wait, wait. Well, I would, listen, you don't have to get rid of all of it. How about, how about 50% of it? How about, how about 25%? Jesus watched as he walked away. Because Jesus could not and would not soften what he said. In fact, he turns, in verse number 23, he turns, Jesus looks around and said to his disciples, I, I love the phrase there, he looked around. I really believe, I mean, Jesus loved this guy, and I really think he's going, wow. He loved him so much, he wanted so much for him to say yes. But he wouldn't force that yes. So he looks around. And then, and then he says to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? He understood in this man's life, the pull of money was strong. And there may be something in your life... Whatever it is, as your football player, as a soccer player, as a band player, the pull of that one thing, whatever it is, you know it's hard. It means saying no to something so you can say yes to something. And it's difficult. So, so the disciples, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but the disciples were amazed at this, that Jesus said this. And then he goes on and says again, he said, listen, dear children, 
Hey, guys, it is very hard for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's just hard for those who have a lot of money, riches, to enter the kingdom. And you go, why? Why is it, why is it so difficult? Because here's the deal. You know, don't let me say it. Let me show you. Watch this video. My competition fears me. I wake up an hour before them. I train 20 minutes longer. I miss parties. Skip the drive. Every day I die on the track. Every day I am reborn. Sweat is my best friend. Pain is my guy. Are you an athlete? I am. So it's true in athletics and to our band people. It's true when you're playing a band. And I guarantee you, Coach Roper didn't show up first day of practice and say, guys, I want you to know something. It's 106 degrees and this is going to be easy. He told you the truth that's going to be hard. And if you're an athlete, you know that. And if you're halfway good in the band... You know you've got to miss some parties. You know you've got to give up something to be great in the band. If you're a soccer player, you've got to be great. If you're going to be great, you've got to sacrifice and give up. Question. Why would it be any different with God? Why would we all of a sudden say, Oh yeah, just pray a prayer and you're in. I love you enough to tell you the truth today. That Jesus Christ died for the sins of men, women, and children. And there's absolutely nothing I can do to merit God's forgiveness. But because of His amazing grace and what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I can have eternal life. And so can you. But it's just not something you add to your life. It's just not praying a prayer and then partying on Friday nights. No, there's a commitment. Not to be saved, but because you are. When you've got that jersey... When you got that jersey, you earned it. And you wear it with pride. And Roper would expect, Coach Roper would expect you to keep doing it. The band director, when you made the band and you made first chair, the director expects you to keep on. Jesus Christ is a life-changing experience. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not going to church occasionally. It is a commitment to follow the living Son of God and His teachings. And it's worthy of sacrifice. It's worthy of a sacrifice. It means skipping some stuff. It means saying no some stuff and saying some yes and stuff. Not to earn it, because you can't, but because you are. If you're going to wear the jersey, you've got to make the sacrifice. If you're going to sit in the chair, you've got to make the sacrifice. If you're going to wear the jersey in soccer, 
If you're going to wear the jersey in baseball, if you're going to wear the jersey in softball, you've got to earn it. Earn it. Not for salvation, but because of Christ. You wear that jersey. Closes out like this. The disciples were astounded. And then, who in the world can be saved? Because see, in their culture, if you were rich, you were in. If you had wealth, because that was a symbol that God was blessing you. And so they're saying, who in the world can be saved? And here's what Jesus said. Jesus looked at them intently. I mean, he, he gave them the eye, not in anger. Or, or, he, he said, guys, look at me. Focus on me. Focus on me. He says, Human, humanly speaking, is impossible. Can I say it again? Because I do not want you to confuse what I said about earning it. It is not salvation. Humanly speaking, you cannot have eternal life. Humanly speaking, you can't be good enough. I mean, we equate, I go to church three times a week. I do, I don't, I do, I don't. You can't earn eternal life. It is impossible. But watch this. Watch what he says. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. We can't be good enough. But if we believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that every blow of the hammer, every drop of blood, that He took the full wrath of God for us. And it's incredible because, in case you don't know, He was an obscure carpenter born in a place where no one should even know His name. And yet, 2,100 years ago, fully over a third of the world's population, 2 billion people associate Jesus and God together. And we shouldn't even know His name. How incredible is that? This is the real deal. This is the real deal. If we'll believe what He did, and by faith, and turn from our sins, turn from what we've done, and say, God, it's your deal over mine. I mean, let's face it. Before you started summer camp, before you signed up for football, Coach Roper had no authority over you. The day you signed on the line and showed up for camp, he had authority over you. So it is with God. When you make that commitment, you gain a new boss in your life. And that boss is not some preacher, and the gig is not some church. The boss is Jesus Christ, and hopefully the Christian part may happen here, but it happens outside these doors more. It happens outside this door more. Here's a final thought. So, we lived on Poplar Street for 13 years, working on 13. As you know, on Poplar Street, the homecoming parade goes by. And in the homecoming parade are lots of young people. But then there's these floats. And they have old people on them. 50-year class reunion. 40-year class reunion. 25-year class reunion. And I can't tell you the time. I've stood in my front yard with all my friends watching those floats go by going, Man, they're old! I are one. This year, 40, gosh, I can't even say it. 
Forty years ago, I graduated from high school. I find myself, and it's been a great ride, by the way. I find myself 58 years old. And I'm going, where did it go? (laughs) I mean, yesterday they were old and now I am. Wow. I say that to say this. If you're 16, 17, 18 years old, first we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but this life is going to be over before you know it. And the time to make the greatest commitment of your life is right now. In fact, I'll be even bolder, is even today. And the cool part is, look at me, guys, it's not rule-keeping. It's not, it's not surrendering to a bunch of do's and don'ts. I'm telling you, being a Christ follower, follower is the most incredible life there is. And the closer you follow, follow the more incredible it gets. It's incredible. I know we've twisted it. I know, I know. All you hear from pulpits and from churches is do and don't and do and don't and do and don't. If you do, if you do you're okay. If you don't, you're bad. I know that. I understand that. And the rules are there for a reason. I'm telling you, there's a lot more to follow in Jesus Christ than a bunch of rules. It's a great life. It's a great life. This guy. This guy had won at the game of life. And he said, what's going to happen after the stuff? And I hope that one day, if God tarries your life, and man, you're like 58 or 60 or 70, and you get to the end and you got the stuff, and stuff is cool, that you still won't be wondering what happens after the stuff. You know, I don't know about you, but call me old-fashioned. I believe in heaven and hell. And what happens after the stuff hinges on one thing. What you do with the man on the cross. What you do with the man on the cross. God doesn't care if you're Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal or non-denominational. doesn't care if you don't go to church at all. What He cares about is what you do with the man on the cross. Now I know we do something radical here and I hope if nothing else, I've caused you to think today. And if Brent, I, or Dave, or one of our other folks here can talk, you know, you want to talk about God some more, that's great. We're going to have, a, we're have what we call a time of invitation. Because we don't give you the opportunity to decide. You know, one day Roper put up the sign-up sheet for football. And you had to sign up. Well, we don't give you the opportunity to sign up today. Y'all, many of you know Brent today. Brent will be standing down front. Come up and say, hey, Brent, I want to know about the man on the cross. About what happens after the stuff. I want to know that. We'd be glad to share. During lunch, grab one of us. Call us in the office. Uh, some of you guys uh, who are in high school, you've got teachers that you know are Christ followers. Go to them and say, hey, can you talk to me about the man on the cross? And they'll be glad to share with you about the greatest commitment decision you'll ever make. I promise you, it's a commitment and a decision that you'll never, never regret. Let's pray together. God, your word is totally incredible. It really is. Jesus, you are incredible. Here we are, 2,100 years, not only knowing your name, but teaching about you. Because it's like it was printed yesterday. God, all of us could identify as an adult. The boss calls us in and says, if you want to go to the next level, you've got to do this. We know about sacrifice and commitment in our lives. 
So God, I know in this room there are probably some folks who need to make this commitment to Christ. We will not soft sell it. It's a life-changing commitment to follow Jesus. And I want to pray right now, Father, that you will call people to yourself. Not because Dwayne said so or Brent said so or David or some coach, but God, because you said so. You see the potential in every life here, whether a teenager or a senior adult. And you know the fulfillment of that potential is found in your grace and the sacrifice that your son made on the cross. So have your way, Jesus, today. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.